everyone, and welcome to The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin from EPAM Continuum. Well, we are coming up on three years of interviews on The Resonance Test, which is exciting for a couple of reasons. First of all, it means that I still have a job, which is awesome. But even more exciting than my continued employment is that we're able to reconnect with some of the people we've talked to, revisit the concepts we've explored in the innovation space, and see how things have evolved. In that light, it made sense for us to hang out again with Nick Doherty of Mass Challenge, an organization well-known for their expertise in accelerating startups. Nick is the managing director of their health tech program, doing sophisticated matchmaking between entrepreneurs who have great ideas and organizations who are looking for new solutions and approaches. When we last talked to Nick, the program was just getting off the ground. But since then, he's learned a ton about how to create partnerships with better expectation setting, achievable milestones, and reduced risk. Nick swung by recently for some quality time with Heather Reavy, Senior Director and Head of Innovation Delivery at EPAM Continuum. Let's switch over to their discussion now. So hi, Nick. Um, welcome back. We're really excited that you're here. Um, the last time we spoke was about this time in the spring of 2017, and you had just started at Pulse at Mass Challenge. And so today we'd love to focus on how things are going for you, how things have changed since then, and what you're seeing in the future of digital health. Yeah, so I think what's funny, it's amazing how much has changed uh, in, a, in a couple of years, uh, positively, including our name. Our, our name is now Mass Challenge Health Tech. So we were originally Pulse at Mass Challenge, and now we're Mass Challenge Health Tech. Um, and we were the, at the time, we were the first vertical accelerator for Mass Challenge, and now there's a second vertical accelerator, Mass Challenge FinTech. And so uh, we're aligned on our, on our names, and we're actually aligned on our finales. So uh, in June this year, um, we're hosting sort of the first ever uh, morning and evening finale celebrations where Mass Challenge Health Tech will be in the morning, and then Mass Challenge FinTech will be in the evening and sort of a full day of innovative things going on. So it's it's been awesome. I mean, we launched this program that matched um, startups and huge organizations together uh, a couple of years ago. And we had this hypothesis that it would create all these great outcomes and, and it has, and now we're seeing that replicated in the FinTech program. So uh, it's cool to see that the model has um, grown over time and, and done really well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I think it would be great to just give us a little bit of information on uh, some of your numbers of and your successes. Yeah, so we've we've had around ninety companies that have gone through the program, and we've generated over two hundred and seventy partnerships through our matchmaking program. So, on average, the the startups are working with about three uh, partner organizations each. So we call them our our champions, um, which is fantastic to to go in. Uh, and over the course of sort of two and a half days to you know walk out of there with three partnerships um, and then these partnerships go on to uh, you know extend far beyond the program uh, it, it's pretty amazing so like that's probably the number one thing that we look at from a, a sort of program entry point perspective is those partnerships that's how you get into the program is by getting a partnership from one of our champions um, but the second thing that we're really looking at is the impact that's created. So uh, every startup in their champion sets a goal, sets goals and milestones that they want to accomplish during the program. And last year we saw, uh, I think it was about 68% of the goals and milestones were achieved during the course of the program. So that's either meaning that they were met or exceeded during the course of the program. Sometimes uh, these uh, startups would fall 
uh, behind with their champions. Uh, and that's, that's part of the process and part of the learning too, um, of when you set out these ambitious goals, what can you actually achieve? Um, and so we're learning a lot about, uh, what makes a successful startup corporate collaboration, um, even startup government collaboration. Um, and it's, it's been a lot of fun to, to watch that. Uh, and it's impacted, you know, we've seen millions of patient lives impacted, We've seen pretty significant increases in revenue and funding for the startups, increases in jobs. Um, so uh, basically every metric that we're, we're measuring against, we're seeing positive results, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah. So what does make a great partnership? Like if you were gonna break it down, what are the ingredients? I, I think it's obvious, but it's it, a lot of it comes down to expectation setting. Um, and I think there are mechanisms for setting good expectations. Uh, and, and I think a lot of, you know, the industry is not equipped with knowledge about what a good expectation is. So you have these ambitions of, oh, let's get this pilot live by the end of the program. But you got to go through the IRB. You have to go through uh, procurement and, and contracting compliance. You have to go through a risk assessment. There's all these components that, that you know, take time and, and add up. And a lot of entrepreneurs aren't necessarily prepared for it. Um, a lot of organizations that have never worked with a startup before, um, you know, don't recognize the level of scrutiny that those companies are going to go through. So, yeah, it's a great idea. I want to use it. Um, but there are some basic blocking and tackling that has to happen. And so when we look back to the two, like the one third of the goals and milestones that aren't hit, a lot of times that's because it wasn't that they weren't going to hit those goals and milestones eventually. It's more that they're not hitting it within the time base uh, that they're expecting it. So, um, and what that can mean is that even though you get a great outcome, uh, it can still leave people with sort of a bad taste in their mouth. Um, and usually that's because what they uh, were expecting was different. So um, what we're trying to do is compile data that shows kind of what um, is kind of standard or to be expected. Um, and working with our champions, working with our startups to sort of better mediate that so that you can be more aligned on the goals and milestones. And this year in the program, we're seeing um, better adherence to those goals and milestones because of those interventions that we've created, or at least we like to think it's because of those interventions. Um, but that's, that's something that we're really laser focused on is uh, helping organizations set better expectations with each other. That's fantastic. Um, in 2017, when we started, you mentioned that there were some gaps in your champion ecosystem that you wanted to fill, like health, health, home care, pharmacy, skilled nursing. So I'm curious how you're how you're closing those gaps, and and maybe there are some emerging areas that you're looking for in champions. So. We got home care, um, and, and we've had some companies that have great hospital at home programs. Um, so that's that was really exciting for us, like um, like Atreus and, and and Brigham Health. They have some great uh, home health programs. Um, I still think that you know we can expand uh, the, the the partners that are engaged in those communities. Um, we've had some startups sort of through AARP and the executive office of elder affairs that have engaged in sort of aging uh, populations, but we haven't um, directly worked with a uh, skilled nursing facility or assisted living or independent living facilities. Um, so it's been kind of roundabout or, or tangential. So those are still areas that you know, we'd like to uh, expand our, our partnership base. And um, where we've really seen the most growth in our partnership base has been 
um, sort of your traditional health system, uh, sort of hospital-based uh, groups, uh, physician groups. Um, we've also seen uh, growth in our uh, the payers that we work with, so the insurance companies we work with, pharma companies that we work with. Um, so uh, you know, we've definitely grown our base, uh, but we still haven't totally branched out, and that. I think that maybe tells us a little bit about um, who has been able to make an investment in creating an innovation capacity within their organizations. Um, most of the organizations we work with, we're working with um, like a chief innovation officer or director of innovation or you know, a digital health director, um, people that have had, you know, organizationally have built the support to engage with a program like ours. and. Um, you know, we'd, we'd like to work in these places because we know that's where a lot of the massive challenges are, um, but we don't necessarily have that interface yet uh, to, to work with them. So, uh, you know, you're getting me to think about this. It's, it's interesting. We, we should uh, look again at it and see what we can do. Yeah. The last time you talked about Microsoft um, just taking on more startups than any of your other champions because of their advanced innovation capability or their you know, internal ability to mm. to know how to do this. Um, aside from appointing some of these leaders, what are your champions doing internally to, you know, get up to speed in the startup world or to be better able to partner with your startups? I, I think one of the things that we've observed is that the really great champions have a really good understanding of what their internal capacity is to do innovation. Um, I think that's true of, of a lot of our champions. Uh, so I'll try to be specific. So um, a couple of our champions, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of like AARP and I'm thinking of um, Harvard Pilgrim. Um, their level of preparation going into the goals and milestones meetings is from sort of year one in the program to now is totally different. So in the first year, it was much more exploratory and what do you want to do and what do you think we should do and you know what would be good what would not be good and um at the end of the program there was sort of mixed results on um you know hitting the goals and milestones or not but they also got some really amazing results in the program so it was a little bit more scattered shot um, but the great results that they got then sort of led to an understanding of what they needed to do in future years um, and even the stuff that didn't go well it also you know leads to that future uh, uh, you know, expertise that that's developed. And I think that's something that we've learned too, is that innovation is a, it's a skill, it's a practice, it's a, it's a craft. Uh, it's not just that we need to get more innovative things. It's, there's a science to implementing innovation. And that's been one of the fun things that we've been able to observe. So they're coming into the meeting, the goals and milestones meeting with, here are the kinds of things that our organization can do. These are the kind of resources we have. We could host this kind of focus group. We could give you access to you know, X, Y, and Z populations. These are the personnel that we can get you in touch with. These are the kind of answers that you know, they could give you. This is how we see us working with your company in these ways. You know, what do you think? So they have all of this um, sort of capacity to do innovation and an understanding of what their capabilities are. So that now you can have a creative conversation saying, you know, with the startup to be like, oh, with that, we could do this. And um, with that, we could do that. And, and you're able to have that dialogue that you wouldn't have had otherwise, uh, where, you know, sort of everything is being created from scratch. Um, and uh, it's been exciting to see the results then where um, you're seeing, 
you know, paid implementations, um, you know, much broader rollouts of the technology, better impact, uh, because, you know, they're a little bit more prepared and have really honed their craft a little bit more. So there's a lot of our champions that have done that. But to me, it, you know, those are a couple examples of some of the, um, the biggest transitions because they've been with us from the beginning, too. So it's been fun to see them evolve. Hmm. Um, and what about on the entrepreneur side? Um, you know, I think this year is the first year that um, maybe your entrepreneurs are Gen Z hmm. uh, and might have a different mindset. Also, you know, the idea of being an entrepreneur is, is much more mature than it, it was when you were one, um, hmm. I guess, 10 years ago or nine years ago. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, like, what are you seeing in your your teams today what are the attributes of a of a team how does it differ from the teams of 10 years ago that's a that's an awesome question um so i i think that what you see is I, i'm just looking at our cohort and i'm imagining them in in my mind we see a lot of uh diversity both sort of gender uh, I would say mostly gender, to be honest. Um, we still don't see as much racial diversity, so I think that's something that we still need to to look at. Um, I think that there's more maturity in in the market. So digital health is still a relatively startup market. Uh, most of the you know the organizations that we work with, their digital health department or function. It's only a few years old if it even exists at all. Um, so I, I think that you know where a lot of the, the the biggest changes what I see with a lot of the entrepreneurs is that um, they're more educated on um, what value-based models are, and that we also haven't transitioned to value-based models yet, and that we're still mostly in a fee-for-service world um, where you know maybe. Uh, five to seven, maybe even 10 years ago, you saw a lot of the pitches being like, we're totally focused on value and you know, that's where we're built. Um, and then you know, those companies were dying because they, they couldn't generate any revenue and couldn't get to market and they had to pivot. So I think that there's a lot of um, understanding of what the most recent entrepreneurial class had to go through that this current entrepreneurial class is taking advantage of. So something that we see with our startups in the program is that they're calling on the alumni of the health tech program and they're saying, Hey, you worked with this champion. Like, what do you think we should do? What's, how should we structure this contract? How should we structure this relationship? What's going to work? Um, so I'm seeing, uh, an understanding that, uh, they can learn from the people that have been there beforehand. So I don't know if that's necessarily about Gen Z as much as it is a, a maturation of the program, but, um, these companies are highly collaborative and want to solve real problems. Uh, and maybe that's just how we select our companies. Mm -hmm. And so much has happened in the landscape in the last two years. You know, all of the new partnerships that are out there, um, you know, further implementation of results-based care, new FDA regulations, you know, evolution of IoT, mm -hmm. remote technologies, all of this kind of stuff. So. How is this affecting um, kind of what you're, how you're matching people or what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, I, I think that we're, sh hopefully, yeah, this, is, this is how we intended to design the program, uh, that 
that the trends are kind of, um, they're just part of the program. So every year when we're selecting our cohort, it starts with our champions and they give us their top five strategic initiatives and the areas that they wanna focus on, where they think the industry's going, what's important to them, um, where they're gonna put their budget in and in the following year. And this is their top five in the whole company? So it could be the whole company, um, it depends on the, the organization. It could be within the unit or the division. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but generally what we're, what we're seeing is, you know, they'll be like, we're looking for uh, an AI machine learning uh, solution that will better predict uh, early onset Alzheimer's or something like that. And, you know, that gives us a lot of information. So it gives us, you know, AI and machine learning as an enabling technology. It gives us a condition or a market. So, um, you know, the condition being early onset Alzheimer's. Um, so, you know, that that then allows us to go and source companies uh, in those strategic priority areas. So in terms of like where we see the industry going, uh, it really will just be reflected in the challenges and the strategic initiatives of our champions. and. The model of the program, you know, doesn't really care where the industry is going because uh, it's kind of baked in to how we do things. Mm-hmm. And I guess as as any industry matures, um, we're also hearing more about the failures, issues around data security, or how to analyze all the data that's coming in through these devices, or digital startup bubbles. You know, I guess. Um, with that in mind, are you, are you seeing differences in how your champions think about who you're matching them with, or yeah. how how are you kind of dealing with all of these things that are constantly in the news? So, basically, when when things go wrong in the news, it creates this, or I guess it amplifies the risk averse culture that is already there, mm-hmm. and. Nobody wants to be that next person that's going to show up in the news for all the wrong reasons. Right. And it's so easy to end up there. And you make one mistake and you're right there on the front page ruining someone's life. And that's that's a horrible place that nobody wants to be in. So startups are inherently viewed as a more risky kind of partnership. Um, you know, there's a lot more scrutiny that comes with working with an entrepreneur. And so our goal as a program is to de-risk that uh, that relationship so we can get to the solutions we want to get to. Because ultimately, we, you know, these these entrepreneurs have some incredible solutions to solve some just ridiculous problems that all these organizations have. So, you know, what that means is that we don't want to trivialize the very real risk that exists. So, um, there's a couple of different ways that we look at it. One is uh, thinking about how do we better educate and train our entrepreneurs so that they are prepared to not be risky. Um, and two, how do we work with these organizations so that uh, when they want to work with an entrepreneur, they want to work with a startup, that uh, they're prepared to evaluate the risk um, associated and able to be that collaborative partner to, to work with the entrepreneur. So some of the mechanisms that we're doing to, to do that is we're, we're developing a standard security assessment, standard risk assessment. Um, and the reason why that's important um, from a sort of data security perspective 
is that uh, you know you want to have your data be secure. Um, but the reason why this is sort of a horrific thing for a lot of entrepreneurs is that um, every covered entity or every hospital or physician group tends to have their own security assessment. And these can be 400, 500 questions long. They could be 100 questions long. They could be all different types of formats, all different types of questions, basically asking a lot of the same stuff. Um, but for an early company, uh, the amount of time and, and sort of people hours it takes to fill that out, we see sometimes it takes four to six to nine months to get through the security review process. And if you've got 12 to 18 months of funding runway, uh, you know that's that's not a good recipe for being able to scale quickly or be able to get the job done. Um, and from the provider perspective, you know we think that there's an opportunity to increase the herd immunity if uh, you know we're adopting standard um, sort of security protocols and and, and frameworks. Uh, so uh, we're working with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. It's part of our contract with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and part of the Digital Health Initiative of Massachusetts to develop this standard security assessment. And uh, we're also working um, on a national level uh, through the Together Health Collaborative that we uh, helped launch and be a part of um, that works more closely with ONC and HHS at a federal level as well as a lot of other ecosystem. So um, we identified that as a problem because it was delaying our goals and milestones. Um, and, uh, you know, we're excited about this solution we're developing that um, hopefully will help reduce the time it takes to go through that security review process and increase the level of security that our startups have. At the same time, you know, you want to encourage people to have these moonshot ideas and to, you know, have confidence that they can reach them. So do you have something on the other side of that, that holds people in tension and keeps them kind of, you know, here at Continuum, we'd call it the scary zone <laughs> where, you know, it's not, it's not um, cold fusion that will never be achieved, but it's something that is pushing the industry and, you know, pushing expectations. That's, it's a, I love that idea because I, I think we always want to push everybody right up to that edge where it's that impossible edge. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and be there to just hold on to them, to keep them from falling over, you know, into that impossibility. Uh, cause we, what we really wanted to do when we reframed and thought about the mass challenge health tech program and our vertical programs, um, is what, what can we accomplish? How do we make startups enterprise ready? How do we make partnerships that really work and impacts that is real? Uh, and how can we make an impact in this year? How can we touch patients' lives now, um, humans' lives now? Uh, and and so I think that we take kind of a different approach um, to a lot of innovation of not thinking about what can we do in 10 years, but thinking about what can we do in six months. And we're still gonna have really lofty, ambitious goals of the future, um, And but we wanna incrementally <laughs> build towards that that vision and it and I think we want to encourage our entrepreneurs to have that moonshot idea and say yes you know let's let's make sure that there's no such thing as type 2 diabetes ever again because you know we're we're going to fix that through AI and machine learning and you know we're going to be able to identify people earlier and you know have interventions and you know uh, you know solve that problem that's awesome you know we'd love love to do that um, but what are we going to do in the next 6 months that is gonna get us towards that. And that's really where we're focused is, um, 
how do you implement innovation? How do you compress the time it takes to get a solution in the market? How do you measure the ROI of that solution when it's in the market? How do you then take this from a you know one condition product to a 10 condition product? How, you know, how do you build those sort of scales? Uh, and, that, and that's really where we're focused is on the how. Um, not on the what or the why, but on the how. Um, we rely on our champions and startups and community to figure out why we should be doing things, like what problems should we be solving. Um, and uh, we rely on them to talk to us about the outcomes that they want to achieve, but we, we focus on how they achieve them. Hmm. Um, it feels like, you know, it's, it's hard within the industry to have conversations about this without kind of tumbling into conversations about technologies. Mm -hmm. um, so as you're you know, trying to emphasize patient outcomes and really the user in, in these different ideas, you know, how do you help your champions and your teams sort of understand those needs and, and make them forefront in the process? Uh, so we often talk about you know, the, the humans and the patients and that, you know, why are we all here? So I, I just said that we don't focus on the why, but, but we do. Um, and, and it's, it's to solve massive challenges and it's to improve, uh, humans lives. Um, maybe we'll focus on other species too, but right, right now we're, we're focused on, on, on humans. And, uh, I, I just think that that's an important filter to view everything through. Um, and one of the reasons why we have the challenges uh, structurally built into the program is that these are the challenges that face um, our patients and the, the delivery system that supports them and, and hopefully the lives that these humans get to live so that they never become patients. Um, and so by, by centering around these challenges, uh, it allows us to have a conversation with the startup to say, yeah, you know, let's figure out how you can work with this champion. I know that this, this, this deal or this relationship, it's, it's not ideal. It's not the perfect thing. It's not everything that you ever wanted, but is this going to help you achieve your mission? Is this going to help you, you know, help these patients? Yes. Okay. Well, how are we going to get a path to commitment between you and this, this champion so that you can accomplish your mission? Um, and you know, we'll have that conversation with the startup. We'll have that conversation with the champion too, being like, look, you know, you want to accomplish your mission. You want to do that. You thought that working with a startup was going to help you. We feel confident that it is, but you're not going to be able to have worldwide exclusivity for this, this company indefinitely. So where are you willing to budge? Where are you going to negotiate? How are we going to get, you know, this path to commitment forward? Um, and, and that, that's really, you know, having that, you know, mutual challenge and that shared interest and that shared objective, um, we think is incredibly important towards finding uh, operational alignment. So when you have that sort of cultural and why and mission alignment, um, it's much easier to find that operational alignment. So I shouldn't say that um, the why isn't important. It's probably the most important thing, um, but often organizations neglect to then take that next step and figure out how they're going to translate the mission to reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm curious as you as you look towards the future, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in digital health, and 
What are things that maybe we're not hearing as much about that you think are going to be big deals in the future? And then maybe the on the inverse, like, are there things that are that we're hearing a lot of hype about that you ultimately think aren't going to translate into something that can help people? I, I think you know some of the most interesting things to me are some of the most on the surface level boring things. So I think health policy is incredibly interesting because health policy is the mechanism that uh, really aligns the incentives. So if you want to understand where healthcare is going, you have to follow the policy um, and the payment and to understand uh, where is the industry headed? Um, you know, are we going to reimburse telemedicine? And if we are, then telemedicine is going to be huge. Are, mm-hmm. are, um, are we going to try to move patients out of the hospital? Then, yeah, home care is going to explode, and you're going to. There's all different technologies and monitoring solutions that are going to have to change. There, are we actually going to rip the bandaid off and go from fee for service to value based? Yeah, that's going to change everything. So, I'm really interested in you know how how policy and payment uh, is going to change um, to align towards the kind of outcomes that we want to you know. Uh, get to as a society, as a country. So I know that's kind of a non-answer about you know specific things, but um, I think that there's so many, I'll give you an example of why I, I don't really get attached to any one specific technology. Because ultimately I get attached to the problems that we're trying to solve. And technology is a tool to get towards that and you can use so many different things. So when I was at Verbal Care, um, we heard from uh, like our patients or the people that we were helping to be able to communicate. Um, so our, we had a tablet-based product, picture-based icons that you could select to help you communicate if you're a nonverbal uh, patient or person. Um, and uh, we had people living with aphasia who basically uh, lost their ability to communicate effectively. And they were worried about these situations where they would be at a restaurant and they wouldn't get served alcohol because they were slurring their speech and they said, you're drunk. It's like, no, I actually... I, I just had a stroke and I can't, I can't communicate that way or getting pulled over and, you know, sounding slurred, you know, and thinking that they're drunk. So they're just worried about all these situations that they'd be in where, uh, you know, could they just pull out the app and say, you know, I have this going on. And we're like, is that really the best solution? You know, you having to go fumble, find your phone, you know, get the app out, you know, log in because at the time there wasn't any biometrics or anything like that. So what we made was a wallet card that said, I have aphasia. These are some things like here are some people that you can call. This is what happened. And so the wallet card was way more useful and effective for that person to be able to just pull out their wallet, take it out because they're you know, already pulling it out for their ID or other things and it would have that information for them. Um, so that sort of long story aside, I don't think technology is the answer to every problem. So what I care about are the problems. And, uh, and policy is and it will align the payment and if the payment isn't aligned towards the problems, then we can't do anything. So we have to align the payment to the problems so that we can have the marketplace for the solutions to thrive in. That's fantastic. Do you have people on your staff that are scouring the news every day for policy updates and kind of helping translate that to your teams? So I think you know we one of the reasons why we started uh, Together Health, which is this consortium of um, health ecosystems uh, is that we're really closely tied with HHS and the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT. And they come to us saying, hey, we have this new rule change happening. 
uh, can you share this with your communities so that we can get input on it? Um, and so we have HHS coming to us saying, we have these rule changes impending. Can you provide comments and feedback on it? So that's a super helpful mechanism to be tied directly with them and have them coming to us to, to provide feedback. Um, I think the same is true in our work with the Health Policy Commission for Massachusetts. So on a state level, we're working with the Commonwealth on developing a innovation guide for uh, community health systems so that non-academic medical centers, organizations that don't have uh, an innovation function can reference this guide and say, how do I work with the digital health technology? How do I evaluate them? How do I onboard them? How do I like measure the ROI? All these things that they're curious about. So we're working with them to develop that. Um, and we're doing some research around that. And the intention is to then use that for any policy recommendations at the state so that we can be more digital health friendly. Um, but frankly, can we adopt innovation effectively to improve the lives of the people of the Commonwealth? Um, so that's kind of how we're engaging with it is going directly to the organizations that are either creating the policies or recommending the policies um, so that uh, that we can provide um, the perspective of the community. So we're not necessarily like, we're not a lobbying group. Um, we're conducting research uh, and we're convening a community of, of people to, uh, to contribute to that dialogue. Wow, that's really cool that you have such access. It's and, insane. Yeah. We have, we have, I have such a cool job. Uh, <laughs> it's really, and it's amazing to see like how the program, when we first met, was purely an accelerator and, um, and sort of how much it's grown into uh, uh, maybe an accelerator of a community or an accelerator of, uh, of health and innovation. And that's exciting to me. Yeah. So we're running out of time, but I know your current session is, you're probably right in the middle of it, right? <laughs> yeah, we're nearing the end. So uh, June 25th is our finale. Um, and uh, that's when we're gonna be celebrating all of the entrepreneurs and what they accomplished. And uh, you know, they're, they're all kind of freaking out because uh, they have a lot to do before the end of the program. But um, we've seen historically that there's a, there's a huge amount of activity that happens between now and then. So I'm very excited to see that. Yeah, yeah. I know you can't really tell us what you're, what's happening and what you're excited about, but are there any, can you give us any teasers to what we can expect? There's one company that really excites me where uh, they're getting really so many like different and unique uh, relationships out of their pool of champions that they're working with. So uh, this company was one of their champions. Uh, they like flew down to DC and had this just like amazing series of focus groups where they got all of this product feedback um, and in a very like professional setting that uh, is going to bring them into an entirely new market segment. So that was really cool. Yeah. And then uh, back in, in, in Massachusetts here uh, with one of their uh, clinical champions, now they're working on how do I implement this um, sort of in, in in a clinical setting. So it was like a consumer-based workshop and then you know, you know clinical implementation of this technology. Um, so they're getting like all this different feedback and it's it's both sort of advisory in nature as well as you know a true implementation site with um, you know the potential for revenues and and there's 
uh, with another partner. They're working on sort of a license share agreement. So it's just cool to see like the diversity of partnership interactions that these companies are getting out of the relationships. Um, and for me to see the champions maturing in their approach and what they're offering and being explicit about here's what we can do and the level of focus and execution is tremendous. Um, so uh, I, I wish I could say specifically what each of those companies are. Um, uh, I, I will be able to at, at the finale, but that one is the coolest one. I, I know that there are some others that, um, or maybe that's not the coolest one, uh, we'll see, but uh, <laughs> that's one of the cool ones. Um, so I'm just very excited about um, uh, the, the results that we're seeing and, uh, you know, it really will come down to the next couple of weeks uh, how uh, how cool they're really going to be. Yeah. Well, I know this is a podcast, so people can't see you, but I can see the excitement in your face, and um, it's it's so great that that all these teams have you as a as an advocate and a supporter and a cheerleader on the side sometimes. Well, we have we have a really great team that makes it happen. I don't do any of the work anymore. It's all it's all the team, um, and uh, we have such a passionate group of people that really want to make a difference. And I think that's what's exciting about Mass Challenge as an organization. We've got like over 100 people around the world that are just as committed as I am as any one of the other people on the team. If you talked with anyone at Mass Challenge, um, you'd probably get the same level of excitement about the work that we do. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, it's so fun to be your neighbor here in the innovation and design building. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> um, well. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for doing everything you can and for being a constant advocate for people and their health. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. EPAM Continuum is a global innovation design firm with studios in Boston, Milan, and Shanghai. At EPAM Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. Because from our perspective, ideas aren't really innovative until they exist. Thanks to Nick Doherty and Heather Reavy for their great conversation today. Cheers to Kip Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Numerous appreciations to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all of his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Pete Chapin, excited to still have this job. And to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. Mm-hmm.